Good evening and welcome to Redeemer Presbyterian Church. This is our annual Good Friday service. Uh, this also has as part of the service the observation of the Lord's Supper. You know, when we think of the death of Jesus, a lot of the world will see this as an example of someone who believed in something important and was willing to die for it. But we know that is not why we come together to observe Good Friday. It's far more important than that. It's personal. This is Jesus dying for us. He is our substitute on the cross, takes all our sins. It takes the wrath of the Father so that we could be right with God and then gives us his righteousness. This is very personal. This is what gives us our salvation. This is what gives us justification. This is what makes us right with God. There could be nothing more important than what Jesus did on the cross and then it's being verified by his being raised again from the dead. So we come together on Good Friday to remember the work of Christ that set us free, that saved us, that makes us sons and daughters of God through Christ. What could be more important? And so we celebrate this we, as a way of worshiping God and thinking of what he has done for us. Now this service is a little unusual. It's not like what we would normally do. So those who are reading, you need to come up just before your reading and watch your step as you come up onto this platform and be prepared to read the passage that you have assigned to you. I want to notice or have you note what the explanation for the service is. This comes from a statement that was written in 1561. It's a brilliant statement. It captures what the Bible teaches about Jesus' death on the cross, and it's a perfect way for us to begin our contemplation this evening. Allow me to read, follow as I read, thinking about each line so carefully crafted and according to what the Scripture has revealed. This is from the Belgic Confession. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, sent his son to assume that nature in which the disobedience was committed, to make satisfaction in the same, and to bear the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. God, therefore, manifested his justice against his son when he laid our iniquities upon him and poured forth his mercy and goodness on us who were guilty and worthy of damnation out of mere and perfect love, giving his Son unto death for us, and raising him for our justification, that through him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. Prepare your hearts further now as the choir sings.
Please stand for the call to worship. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Let us adore our God together by singing hymn number 246. Let us pray. Our Father and God, we worship you now in the name of Jesus. And in the goodness of the Holy Spirit, we entrust ourselves to you, asking him to make our worship complete before you. 2,000 years ago, when our Lord suffered and died, you were the God who made the land of Israel dark from the sixth to the ninth hour. And when our Lord Jesus cried out in his faithful despair, asking why you had forsaken him, 
His lament was right at the conclusion of that darkness around the ninth hour. As at the very beginning of our world, your spirit was moving in the darkness, his intentions laden with glory. Gracious Father, you who commanded the light to shine out out of darkness have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this, and we pray that you would thicken our understanding of the incredible sacrifice made on our behalf and how profound the gift of the new birth through Christ actually is. Deepen our passion and commitment for Jesus through the scripture we read, the songs we sing, the message we hear, and the sacrament we partake in. Help us to celebrate just how good this Friday is. It is in Jesus, our Savior's name, that I pray. Amen. Please be seated. The Last Supper. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's remain seated as we sing hymn number 261, What Wondrous Love Is This?
Mark 14, 32. And, when they, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's stand together and sing 248. Ah, holy Jesus, how hast thou offended?
please be seated. Jesus before Caiaphas. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Let's remain seated as we sing hymn number 247, O Sacred Head Now Wounded.
trial before Pilate. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in this insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowds to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified.
Let us stand together and sing 252, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Please remain standing. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. 
And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Please be seated.
Would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23 for a moment? just want to bring a brief meditation, a thought from the cross, a conversation that took place between Jesus and the criminals that hung on the cross. The Gospels have varying perspectives on what took place, and these accounts put all together, help us to get an understanding of what took place. The Gospel of Mark simply says that those who were crucified with Him berated Him. Those who were crucified, they're not called as in Matthew 27 uh, that Michael read, they were called robbers. Uh, They were called robbers and were crucified with Him, and in that gospel as well, it's described that they berated Him. Both robbers, both criminals berated Jesus. They're in the same boat as He is. They're, They're being crucified as He is, and yet they had the energy and the strength and the wherewithal to berate Jesus, Uh, blasphemies and tearing down. And yet as we go to Luke 23, Luke spends 11 verses describing the scene for us. And I want us to consider what took place between these criminals and between Jesus, a conversation that took place Follow along as I read Luke 32, 23, 32 to 42. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, this, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. When you picture what took place at the cross of Jesus, conversations were going on all around. There were the conversations of the rulers. What were they doing? They were scoffing at him. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen one of God. The soldiers, they're mocking. They're putting him down. They're spitting. They're jeering at him. They said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. The criminals are hearing these, this jeering. And we're told by the other gospel accounts that both 
criminals took part in the jeering. We have the first criminal saying to Jesus in verse 39, are you not the Christ? He heard others saying that. Save yourself. And almost, and while you're at it, save me too. Now, if somebody confessed that Jesus is the Christ, like Peter did, he's commended. When Jesus heard Peter say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, truly, the Spirit has revealed this to you. Those were the words that this criminal used on the cross. You're the Christ. Are you not the Christ? And he said, save yourself and save us. He, he cried out, Hosanna, save me. Save me now. Why was he not saved? His attitude is one of railing at Jesus. When we find ourselves in the same boat as somebody else and we're suffering, do you find yourself lashing out at others? This criminal was overheard by the other criminal. And while we're told in the other accounts that both criminals berated Jesus, something happened in this second criminal. Something we're not told about, something that's not described in detail, but there's some different words that now come out of the second criminal's mouth, and that's in verse 40. In verse 40. Criminal one, 2 says to criminal 1, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? The fear of God, the beginning of wisdom, it starts to set in on this criminal. You're under the same condemnation. He was understanding that the wages of sin is death. And just as it is appointed unto man once to die, then, then comes the judgment. We've been judged by an earthly court and we've been found guilty, but there's another judgment that's coming. That's all the worse. In verse 41, he says to that other criminal, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, we're getting just what we deserve. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. This criminal knew he was receiving justly what his due reward was. Like Isaiah, he was saying, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He knew his sin. He knew he was being judged properly, justly. Like the tax collector standing far off who wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven said, he beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. His criminal knew his sin. He knew he was condemned. He knew he was guilty, not just in the human court of law, but in the courtroom of heaven. He stood condemned before his creator and maker. And then he declares, but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus is different. Jesus is hanging, condemned by a human court, and now suffering the condemnation of his Father in heaven not for his sins, but for the sins of his people that he has chosen to bear. 
this Jesus now, who was tempted in all ways like we were, yet without sin, is now being punished as a sinner. God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This threefold realization by the criminal made all the wor- a world of difference. He knew that he was rightly condemned. He knew that he was not only condemned in this world, but he would be in the next. He knew that Jesus had done nothing wrong and was sinless. So he turns from the other criminal and he turns to Jesus hanging on that center cross. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knew that his kingdom was not of this world. He knew the man that was being crucified next to him was going to die. He knew that this kingdom was a world apart, a different kingdom, not an earthly kingdom, not a kingdom of flesh and blood, but a kingdom that is a spiritual kingdom. And when Jesus heard the words of this criminal, he said, truly I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. No more beautiful words could be spoken. But Jesus, what can I do in your kingdom? How can I serve you? What can I do to prove to you that I really am honest and sincere in my trust in you? What can I do to pay you back for for your sacrifice in my place? You were sinless and I'm sinful. There's something I got to do to make it right. How can I live my life when I'm going to die today. I don't deserve to go into your kingdom. I don't deserve paradise. It's grace, pure and simple. It's as much grace for that criminal on the cross as it is for you and for me. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love and favor. There's nothing we can do to prove it to God, how sincere we are and how much we believe in Him. It's all of God's grace and favor to undeserving sinners like us, criminals. We sang the other week, there's a fountain filled with blood, and the second verse says, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I though vile as he, wash all my sins away. We can have as much confidence as that sinner, that criminal on the cross had when Jesus spoke directly to him, you will be with me in paradise. His sacrifice for that criminal is as sure as that sacrifice is for this criminal and that criminal. He washes all our sins away. Would you hear the words of our dying Savior who tells us that paradise is ours, not because we could earn it, deserve it, pay Him back in no way. All we have to do is acknowledge, I'm a sinner without hope and lost. And Jesus is all righteous and suffered in my place to cry out to Him, Lord, remember me. Do, Lord, oh, do, Lord, oh, do remember me. 
The Lord will never forget His own. The Lord remembers His children. We can have the assurance that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. And this is the confidence that we have, the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Brothers and sisters, we deserve what that criminal got. We all stand condemned before our Maker. But the one who was condemned and stood in our place, though he had done nothing wrong, is who we can cry out to and trust in and believe on. It's all of grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that as vile and guilty and wretched and poor and blind and lame and lost as we truly are, there is abundant grace and mercy to be found with you. Lord, we thank you that that mercy is rich and free and that you give it to us not because of anything that we have merited, but only because of the work of your Son, Jesus. We are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn of response we'll stand together for. It's hymn number 420. Let's stand and sing verses 1 and 2. At the Lamb's high feast we sing. Amen. Please be seated. It is my great pleasure, privilege, to invite you who trust alone in the finished work of Christ to this table. This is not my table. This is not Redeemer's table. It's not the PCA's table. It is open to those who rest in the finished work of Christ. It's not for anyone who thinks that 
Jesus plus my church attendance or my giving or my baptism or my family or my faithfulness or how good my week was this week. None of that will get you anywhere with God. It's all of Christ's righteousness, and that's what we receive at the cross. And when he invites us to the table, he invites us to partake in his death. That means our sins are nailed to the cross because of Christ and his worthiness and that the Father accepts his sacrifice on our behalf. And when we partake, we're saying we believe it's all of Christ and we rest in this knowing the Father accepts us because of what he has displayed on the cross, what he has accomplished on the cross. And we know it to be verified because he raises him again on the the third day, which we celebrate in just a couple days. So this is for those who do trust in Christ alone. If you don't, and you're here visiting, we're glad you're here, and we want you to see what's displayed. And ask someone. Ask one of our church members, one of us after. We want to share with you in full what it means to trust in Christ's finished work. Let the bread and the cup pass if you're not at that point yet, lest you proclaim something with your outward action that's not an inward reality. This table is for those who are sinners and know that only Christ can save us, and he does so, and he has done so by his death on the cross. It was on the same night in which the Lord Jesus was betrayed. After giving thanks, he took bread, and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do so in remembrance of me. After the same manner in which he took the bread, he then took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, shed for the remission of the sins of many. Take and drink. Do so in remembrance of me. And each time we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for this visible sign and seal of your covenant of grace. Lord, we are thankful for what it reminds us of, how it builds our faith, how in partaking we are deepened in our trust and our rest upon Christ in his merit alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this evening, the way we'll partake is we'll have two elders who will dismiss from the middle rows, and when they walk by your row, all the way from the outside, come to the middle and partake and go around back to your seat that way. And we'll have two elders at the tables just reminding you what these things represent. And if you're visiting with us, if you are partaking at your church, and it's a church that's a Bible-believing church, that preaches the gospel. We're glad you're here and we want you to partake. And uh, for our children, they have to go through a communicant process where they express their faith uh, openly to the church elders. So those are the ways in which we practice taking communion. I do want to let you know that we use wine in communion. There is a limited amount of grape juice for those who by reason of conviction would prefer. The elders will come and start dismissing.
Our hymn of dedication is again hymn number 420. We'll stand and sing the third verse of At At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing. Receive now the benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Let's sing our hymn of dismissal. It's the last verse of 254, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. The whole hymn, I'm sorry.